Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. <laughs> Amen. Hey, that's exciting. We, we love to see those little kiddos excited. We love to see them ready to get in there and let Miss Wendy beat them up a little bit. Uh, what a good day. Good day to be in his house. Good day to be in his presence. And, and I, I do realize, and that's what we've been talking about, we'll continue to talk about, that times can seem to be turbulent, but that doesn't mean our heart has to be. It doesn't mean that our mind has to be. And the battlefield oftentimes is found there in our, in our mind and in our heart. And in the midst of all of that, how do we keep it sane? How do we keep it still? How do we keep it focused? How do we keep it on the Lord? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're getting into and going to continue in that direction, even though we're not going to be there fully today. But in the book of Revelation, there are um, seven churches. And in those seven churches, we have things pretty blatantly pulled out of that that we can see that they're, they're fighting against. They're, they're warring against, but we also see the things that they're doing right. So um, before we get there, though, I, wanna, I want us to learn a little bit about what redeeming the time means. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Because that's kind of the message for the next few weeks is redeeming the time. And what does that really mean? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 as you're going there, um, do have a, a couple of announcements. One I'll finish up at the end, just like I did last week for those that were here. Uh, so the first announcement is, don't forget, here in just a couple of weeks, we have our Fall uh, Harvest Festival. It'll be here on November the 4th from 2 until 6. So there you go. We'll have a chili cook-off for those of you that uh, are really good at making chili. Bring it on. We're going to see if, uh, if it can hold up to the standards of our judges, our very qualified and educated judges. Basically, a handful of people that love to eat. All right? So uh, if, you can, if you want to make some chili, um, you will get a prize for that if you win. And that prize is valued at somewhere between $5 and $5 million. Somewhere... Between there, you will get a prize for that. Um, also, of course, it's free. Just come on in. Bring as many people as you want. We really want to use this as an opportunity to get out in the community as well and let the community know that we are here. So bring anybody that you want to bring. Um, there, are, there is a sign-up sheet there in the front, and I think there's actually one in there in the hallway as well if you want to sign up to help, if you want to sign up to um, pick up, to clean up afterwards. We'll need all kinds of help in every kind of area. So sign up if you'd like to help out with that. Also, this Thursday, Miss Wendy is going to be here 
I think she said from about 2 o'clock till about 6 or 7 o'clock. So um, just to do some work, get some things done to prepare for that. So if, you, if you're able to come out and help at that time this Thursday, make sure that you um, come on out and be a part of that so we can not let it all fall on one or two people. They've already been doing a lot of hard work and we do appreciate that. Um, so if you can help out, please do so. Um, also, thank you for all of those who have been giving um, to the family in need, and we'll talk more about that later, right after service, all right? Ephesians chapter 5, if you got it, say, I got it. <clears throat> See then that you walk circumspectly, not covered by flesh, but covered by the Spirit, not covered by self-justification, but covered by God justification. Not covered by our desires and our wants here in this world and in this flesh, but covered by a desire that transcends this world into the next. You realize that's the direction we're walking, right? We're walking in the direction of eternity. When you sign up to walk with Christ, you, you are now walking in the direction of an eternal walk. Right? You're walking in a direction that will forever be close to Him. Walk that way. Walk in wisdom. Walk in understanding. Not as fools. Fools are those, the Scripture says, are those who say there is no God. Or even worse, say that they are their own God. Right? Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. That's a... That's a, that's a that's a phrase that sounds really good, but what does God mean by that? What does God mean by that? To redeem the time means to purchase it back. So, wow, what an amazing thought that, number one, we realize that Jesus Christ Himself is our Redeemer. Right? We were sold on the auction block of slavery to sin. Jesus said, anyone who has ever sinned, you are a slave to that sin. So what we need is someone to come in and purchase us out of that slavery so that He can set us free. And He doesn't just set us free from something. He sets us free to something. From sin, but to a life that is higher and greater and stronger than what this world can offer. From sin and to a life of power and abundance. Not that doesn't mean in stuff, but it means that you have everything you need to make it in this life. You have every, that's where our, most of our anxieties come from. We don't feel like we have what, we take, what it's going to take to get through this. We feel like we're going to not be able to make it. We're going to feel overwhelmed. We're going to feel too small in our situation, too big. Our circumstance too great. Our sin too much. Our, our flesh too thick. That God has not just called us and redeemed us, but He's now giving us the authority to redeem our situation. That's as if I were to come to you and say, not only am I purchasing you out of slavery, but I'm also going to take from my account and put it into your account so that everything you need can be found in that account. What is that account? Faith. Faith. And Abraham believed, and it was a 
counted to him as righteousness so that he might be called a friend of God. Someone trusted with the account. That's a friend. You're called and trusted with God's account. You're trusted with that. How do I know that? Because he tells his disciples something that has always blown my mind, which I know it's a simple mind. It doesn't take much. Y'all were not supposed to laugh that hard at that. It kind of skirt me a little bit. He tells his disciples, whoever you forgive, they're forgiven. Well, I thought only Jesus had that power. And he says, whoever you determine is not forgiven, guess what? They're not forgiven either. He's not calling us God, but what he is saying is, is I give you access to my account. I give you access to redeem the time and the moment and the situation. I give you access to use the faith that you use to meet with me. To use it on and, 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 and use it in a way where you reach out to help others around you to redeem this moment. That means if someone comes to you and says, God cannot forgive me. I've done too much. I'm too far gone. I'm too messed up. My situation's too broken. My body's too, too messed up. My mind is too burnt out. My heart is too, too black and too dark. The sin is too great. The lust is too strong. The pride is too real. It's too, I'm too far gone. You can say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe in your account, you don't have enough. But I know a guy. I know a guy who has accredited to me not just an account bigger than you could ever measure, but from a source greater than you would ever even know down here on earth. Redeem the time. Now, I'm just getting started. That was a load. Are y'all okay? Redeem the time. Now, why do we need to do that? Why did he say, redeem this time? Why did the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus in the middle of a, a church in a season in a time that was very evil, just like what we see today? We'll talk about that a little bit more. But why did he say redeem it? Because why? How many of you have felt that way lately? Now you're looking out and you're like, this world's kind of nuts. Right? How many of you realize that God's no stranger to that? Which is comforting. Because God's dealt with it before. And He will deal with it again. You ever read the book of Revelation? It's Him dealing with it. It's Him dealing with it. Because the days are evil. So therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, help us today to understand what the will of the Lord is. Help us to, today to get past all of the, the 
the stuff that really doesn't matter and really come to the place where we meet you through your word, through your spirit. Holy Spirit, you divinely inspired this word to be written down. I believe it is infallible. I believe it is your word. I believe it is holy. I believe it is living. I believe it is sharper than any two-edged sword. I believe it, can, it is given to us for, for education, for exhortation, for correction. I believe it is given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, by the same power, reveal to us what it says. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if we're not careful, we get hung up on that phrase. And we, if we're not careful, we'll blow that phrase up bigger than the phrase before it. He tells us to redeem the time, and then after that he says, because the days are evil. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have a tendency sometimes to focus on... Okay, not everybody's like me. Everybody else, is, you're, you're an eternal optimist, aren't you? Right? Why is the human nature to want to go... The days are evil, which is bigger and darker and badder and worser. I know that's not a word. Don't look at me like that. That that is greater than the phrase he gave us before. Well, I want us to take a step back and look at this from 30,000 feet, and then we'll come down to a heart level. But at 30,000 feet, let's look at this phrase. We know the days are evil. Turn to your neighbor and say, duh! No kidding. Have y'all read the Bible? From Genesis to Revelation, the days are evil. I mean, for real. It doesn't take very long for the first murder to be committed after the fall. It doesn't take very long for people to start straying. For stuff to start happening. For dark clouds begin to roll in even before the rain falls. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what the Bible is about. God redeeming the evil days. God redeeming the evil heart. God redeeming our evil ways. God redeeming us from Satan and his evil ways. God is no stranger to dealing with our evil I don't know about you, but I take heart in that. When I read Scripture and I see the amazing things God did in spite of the dark times, I love how God calls it like it is, but yet gives us hope by inserting Himself into it. The days really are evil. And again, from Genesis to Revelation, we see it over and over and over. The snake rises up. It shows its fangs. And the seed of God says, be back where you belong. It doesn't take very long where we see not only that the days are evil, but that God has a plan. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 We'll see God calling it like it is, and yet having a plan. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. I'm going to pull this one verse out. We'll talk about context. It's super important. 
Let's just highlight this one verse real quick. Genesis 6, 11 says, The earth also was corrupt before God. It was perverted. It was perverse. It was not being what God called it to be. It had gone astray. It sought out a relationship that was not holy. It decided to taint itself. It decided to grow weeds instead of good fruit. The earth was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with Hamas. Quite literally in the Hebrew language, that word violence is Hamas. It is a zealous anger against something. It's a zealous anger to tear down something so that you can build yourself up. It's a bully. It's called the Philistines. Giants. Loud. Ugly. And some of you say, oh, Pastor Justy, you're just inserting those words. No, I'm not, because one giant had six fingers on each hand and foot, on each hand and six toes on each feet. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's ugly. He's big, he's gawky, he's loud, he's ugly. His name is Goliath, he has brothers. There's a race of them. They're violent to the point where they know their calling in life is to tear down what God is building up. Insert God's plan to build something they can't even get in. It's called an ark. This is Noah's time. Not just Noah's time, but Enoch's time as well. When you read the, 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 the lineage of all of the olden saints there in Genesis where so-and-so had a baby and it was so-and-so, or if you're King James, it's so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so. And we find down there, which they're all living like seven, eight hundred years old. In one way, I'm like, that would be cool. In another way, I don't know if I want to live that long down here. Right? My readers would end up being that thick. Okay, But what we find is, is that at the same time Noah is beginning to build an ark, Enoch is walking with God in a time that was very evil. In a time of corruption, in a time of evil, in a time of spiritual bullying, in a time of very real nasty stuff to deal with, God shows up and says, I have a plan. And this plan is to build something for a reason they've never seen before. To build something, an ark, for the reason of rain. In other words, God's prophesying. And He's speaking it like it's going to be. Again, have y'all ever read the book of Revelation? We have crazy things happening in the book of Revelation. Stuff that we would look at and go, Wow! M. Night Shyamalan would have a heyday with this. Right? Science fiction has nothing on that. I mean, seriously. And yet God said, I'm preparing you for something that will be. And our ark is not a boat. 
Our ark is a presence. Our ark is a Jesus. That the ark was the type and the shadow of Jesus. And here we are, not in a type or in a shadow, but in a reality. And so from Genesis to Revelation, it is type and shadow of Jesus, type and shadow of Jesus, type and shadow of Jesus, all in the midst of evil stuff. And I could go on and on. How many of you know your Bible enough to know that the Old Testament is full of fighting evil and fighting flesh? Well, guess what? So is the New Testament. The church being built, an ark being built at a time that is really corrupt and apparently, as we just read in Ephesians, really evil. That's why we read here in the book of Ephesians what Paul said, and that's why we will eventually get to the seven churches all being built at a time where God knows, yeah, the world is crazy. Get over that point. Because it just is. I mean, how many of you have one of those crazy relatives? Some of you who did not raise your hand, you may be sitting next to them. And you know they're crazy. There's no surprise to that. Right? Even sometimes when you hear them do something, your first reaction is like, are you serious? Your next reaction is, why am I even surprised? It's just something you got to deal with. It's just something you just get over and you deal with. It's just a reality. It is what it is. But I'm not going to lose my sanity over your craziness. The devil is a liar. I'm not, I'm not giving away that. I'm not losing all of that. We see here the, the church being built at a time in which there, are a lot of, there is a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of evil that's going on. We read the book of Acts and studied through it not too long ago in our Wednesday night. And we learned what all the things that the church was that, it, that they had to deal with. But here's the cool part about it. We're still going, baby. We're still, turn to your neighbor and say, we're still here. And we're going to still be here until Jesus blows the trumpet or has Gabriel blow the trumpet and we scoot out of here. We're going to be here as long as He says we're going to be here. And we're going to be anointed as long as we're going to be here because His hand is still on His church. His Spirit is still in His church. We're still His bride. We're still His. I know things get messed up, but we're still His. And we're still going to be here. And we're anointed to be here. We're covered to be here. We're empowered to be here. And this is why it bothers me those people that think that the Holy Spirit can't be poured out now like it was back when the Bible was written because I'm thinking, holy cow, if they needed it then, don't you think he th we still need it now? I mean, I'm just a little bit worried that we could think we're past the point of needing the Holy Spirit to pour out and empower us. I need it right now. And they say, well, that's just for making disciples. We're still supposed to be making disciples. We still need that Holy Spirit. We still need that power. And I'm here to tell you with evidence and testimony, the power is still here. Can you say amen to that? At FCA camp, I was praying with a young man who needed to be delivered from pornography. 
I didn't do anything special other than just look at him and say, God can help you. Brother fell out. And I thought, God, you about to get me in trouble. And he told me, I've never felt the Holy Spirit. I've been in church my whole life, and I've never felt the Holy Spirit like that before. And I said, that's all him, bro. That was just a taste. That was just, that was just going to Sam's and getting a sample. He's purchased the whole thing. It's still evident. It's still real. There are six D's, though, that the enemy throws at us. All through the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, there are six D's that the enemy throws at us to get us messed up about hard times and messed up about the things that we're dealing with. Again, the New Testament, if you ever read through it, guys, it was dealing with all kinds of stuff. There was spiritual warfare going on. There was, there was, there was idol worship going on. It's been in, in every, almost every page of the Bible, it seems like it's touching that somewhere. That we've always erected some idol and we've always built an altar to some foreign or strange God. There are 23 named gods in the Bible other than, of course, God Himself. I'm talking about little g gods. Gods that we've built. Gods that we've made. Gods that we've tried to make less than or, 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 or our own personal gods. 23 of them. Rome had 12 big ones. They had a bunch of other little ones. They had 12 main ones that they worshipped all the time. In Ephesus, there was, a, there was a temple erected that was a seventh wonder of the world to a foreign god in which they did a lot of foreign things to worship that foreign god. So in the midst of that, if we're not careful, we'll let these seven D's or these six D's creep in. First one is division. Division. Paul addressed it. Jesus addressed Jesus himself said, if a kingdom is divided, it can't stand. Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. I told you we're going to do some Bible study. Y'all ready? Some of you are less ready now than you were earlier. Y'all okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, who saved you? I didn't say what denomination were you raised in. I said, who saved you? Who do you worship? Some of you are getting it. Some of you are ready already for lunch. By the name of our Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Answer is no. Right? We're all in Jesus here. 
Now, we all have different flavors. I get that. We all have different ways in which we feel like we're more comfortable worshiping Him or seeking Him or whatever. But the main thing is, is we can't be divided in that. We cannot be divided in that. The enemy will come in and he will bring division for a reason. Not just division in a church, but sometimes dividing you from church or dividing you from his presence. Just like a lion that can get a gazelle by taking him away from the herd and getting him isolated. Isolation is not a good place to be. It's a dark place to be. It's a place in which things will start creeping into your mind and you can't take those thoughts into captivity because your flesh begins to override your spirit. You've got to continue to be with His body. You've got to continue to do that. You've gotta, you've got, you, you have to make that a priority in your life to be a part of the herd. You've got to make that a priority to be a part of His body. You've got to make that... And don't squabble over what part of the body you are. That doesn't matter. I'll be the pinky toe for all that matters, all right? And if you don't think the pinky toe is important, stub it. Because when that joker hurts, the whole body, right? You've got you've to fight division. You've got to come against that. And you do so by, in humility, staying united. You can't do it without humility. First D is division. Second D is distraction. The enemy loves to distract. I alluded to that last week. How does a magician pull off most of his tricks? By distracting you. By, by showing you this hand, but doing something else with that hand. That's what a distraction is. That's what lust is. Lust is a distraction from love. Right? There, there's all kinds of other things we could throw into that same bag as well. But it's a distraction. In fact, let's go into Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua 1, verse 8. Joshua is moving a... a, a Rather a large group of people into the promised land. Some estimate a couple hundred thousand. Some estimate a million. Either way, that's a lot of people. And if God's ever told you to lead a million people, you might want to make sure He really did say that. Because you can't do that on your own. Moses dies. Joshua's on the edge of the promised land thinking, how am I going to get these people in there? How are we going to win all of these battles? How am I going to keep us focused? And God says, this is how you're going to stay. This is how you're going to make them focused. By you staying focused. Here's what you stay focused on. Joshua 1 and 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Even God knows that you can't accomplish anything by being distracted. You have to be focused. You have to do what you have to do to be focused. And he's saying, Joshua, guess what, Josh? It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. 
It's going to take some intentionality. And I don't know if you're like me, but I fight spiritual ADD just like y'all do. Right? I will be on my knees praying and pouring my guts out, and I will feel His presence, and the next thing you know, I'm going to think, oh man, did I pay that bill? Anybody else with me? Lord, forgive me as I forgive that. Well, except for that one dude. You can get him. You can, Holy Spirit, sick him. Right? Go get him. My point is, is it takes some intentionality. I have to take that thought. I have to bring it into captivity and say, God, come back. Let's bring it back. You know what? Believe it or not, there are times that I go into his word. There are times that I read and I go, Oh yeah, on that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David and oh yeah, I forgot. Hold on, hold on, God. Let me put this on my to-do list. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, okay, now where was I? All the sinners of my people shall die. Oh, no, was that? And then I'll be like, oh no, wait a minute. I, 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 that's not where I was. And oh, well, wait a minute. There is something else I needed to do. And let me go over here and do this real quick. And then I'll come back and I'll, no, okay, God, where was I? Point taken. But that's for real. And so I have to say, let's bring this back. Let's focus in. You have to do it with intentionality. When God tells Joshua to do this, He tells him with the reality of knowing Joshua's got to put some effort towards this. Right? There are some things worth fighting for. And the same, and it blows my mind, okay? Listen, I, I spend half, well, sometimes more of my life talking to teenagers all week long about Jesus. And I've been told by many sources that their attention span is like really, really small these days. And I've, my first thought is, it's not just teens. But my second thought is, they can sit in front of a four and a half hour movie. They can sit and play video games for nine and a half hours without taking a potty break. That's focus. So maybe it's that we don't really want him bad enough. Because we live in a land of abundance. And when you really want him bad enough, you'll go get him. When you really want something bad enough, you'll go get it. You'll do it. That's how I've, I've told my boys that for as long as they, like, they'll come to me and say, Dad, will you please open up this package of Pop-Tarts? I said, nope. I know, y'all look at me like I mean. I didn't do it when they were one. You're nine years old, bro. If you want it bad enough, you'll get it open. Right? And at first, they have to get over themselves. You'll get hungry enough. <laughs> Y'all pray for my family. <laughs> if you want it bad enough, you'll go get it. Josh, you want to succeed? I'm giving it to you. I've given it to you. Put it to work. Right? Put it to work. Distraction. Third one. Deception. This is, a big, this is so big, I've got two passages of Scripture for you. Y'all good? Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. 
Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing. Or while doing good, as some translations say. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Especially to those who are aware. There's that ark again showing up, right? 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We get hung up in all of, in a lot of stuff that really doesn't matter. We get hung up on what, what color should the carpet be? We get hung up on what flavor should the coffee be. We get hung up on, on can we do this or can't we do that. And the bottom line is this. Let's come back to a simplicity of faith in Christ and help people with that. Let's, that, let's let the main thing be the main thing. And that's what it is. It's about Christ. It's not about what I think about Christ is about Christ. It's not about how I preach Christ. It's about Christ. It's not about me. As Paul said, I didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. So if I come in any way lifting up anything or anyone else other than who, then I have to be careful with that. And we have to be careful with that. In the church world, we have to be careful of that. Deception. If you want to know, how do I combat deception? Because you know what? In the end times, it's going to be there. It's here now. <laughs> right? It's here now. How do you know it's here now? Because people are trying to, to reap something that they didn't sow. Let me go deeper with that. This, this relationship is love. Even though it's not honored by God, it's love. So I'm going to try to love this relationship that's not honored by God and reap something from God. Wrong. You just made love God, not God love. You see what I'm saying? I made love out as my God. So that if I love it, it's okay. You know what? There's a lot of stuff I don't need to love. Fried chicken is one of it. Not according to the cholesterol report. But I can justify it because every preacher should love fried chicken. Right? That's the way it's supposed to be. I jest, but I'm serious that we can take a relationship 
and justify it as if God is justifying it when God's already said no. And that's not just a relationship with people. Sometimes it's a relationship with stuff. Oh, I need this in my life. And God says, he wrote, doesn't, you know, it's, it's okay. It's no big deal. He and I, we worked that out. Except for the scripture says, don't do it. You play with the snake, you're going to get bit. Right? Quit being bad pickers. You're picking stuff and laying with stuff that you're going to get the mange from. Watch those relationships, guys. Remember I said watch your gates? Watch your relationships. That doesn't mean, I know we're called to love the world. I know we're called to get out there and help them all. But there's a whole different purpose. I'm called to love the world and help the world, not lay with it. Is that too much? Y'all okay? (laughs) I don't even know what I'm going to say most of the time, guys. We have to be careful with deceptions. Because we will take something less than God. Love it like it is God. And think it's okay because it's love. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of relationships right now that are going the wrong way in, 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 in the world. And they're wanting God to bless it. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. i got to move on and get myself in trouble. Next one, distortions. Distortions. Where it's got a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. It's a distortion, and the world is really good. It kind of goes with deception. Really, the world is really good at putting lenses on you and glasses on you to say, now look at God through those lenses and through those glasses. And that's not how it works. Even Paul had to have those scales fall off. So that he could see Christ more clearly. Distortion. We have to look at Jesus. John 5, 36 through 40. John 5, 36 through 40. If you want to know how to get through deception, how to get out of being distorted and having your faith distorted about who God is, you look at Jesus. God gave us Jesus so that you can have a clearer picture of who God is. A God we cannot see down here, but a Jesus that we can. Does that make sense? John chapter 5, verse 36, and it says, But I have a greater witness than John. He's talking about John the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father Himself who sent me has testified of me. For you have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His form. But you do not have His word abiding in you, because whom He sent, Him you do not believe. That's a fancy way of saying, if you want to believe in God, you look through who? Jesus Christ. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify what? Of me. But are you not willing to come to me? Everybody say Jesus. Don't stray from that. Don't stray from that. We can't become a one world religion unless it strays from that. 
So we have to be careful. You have to focus on Jesus. You have to focus on the resurrected life through the cross, the focal point of Jesus, like you aim at a target through the crosshairs. It's not just what you focus on, but it's how you focus on it. It's what you focus through. If it goes outside and makes it anything about anything less than Jesus or other than Jesus, stay away from it. Walk away from it. Well, you can really, I mean, God is love, so God says you can just really pick any way you want to get, there's, there's many paths up the mountain, right? I said this before, I'll say it again, how do you know which path? How do you know which path? Because there are a lot of paths. I didn't say they all lead the same place, I just said there are a lot of paths. But as you're standing at the mouth of all these paths, how do you know which way to go? I don't know about you, but let's walk circumspectly with this. This path, dude is dead. This path, dude is dead. This path never had a dude. Can't reach me in the first place. This path, dude is dead. This path, dude died and came back to life to point and show me the way. Walk circumspectly with this. Don't be distorted. With that also comes disorientations. Disorientation. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Running out of time. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Don't get disoriented. The enemy loves to spin your... Have have y'all ever played that game where you put your head on the bat and you spin around and then you try to head for... Or some of you, how many of you watch somebody do it because you were too smart to do it? And you said, I'm just going to watch them. But yet, why do you think God, or why do you think the enemy is telling you the world's spinning too fast? Why do you think he allows anxiety to come and why do you think the enemy tries to work through the symptom of anxiety and depression and fear and doubt? He gets your mind disoriented and it's spinning around and you lose focus on the one who is in control of it all. When Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking around at everything else. Looking unto, what did we say earlier? Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I've I've got to move on a little quicker here, but don't let the enemy disorient you with the things that you see and the things that you hear, especially the temporal things. You'll see something. That's what pornography is. It's a disorientation. You'll see that and you'll be like, oh, this, is, this, this looks really good. And you realize it's a, it's a made-up world. It, it, it's a cloak. It's a cover. It's a made-up world. Cover. It's, it's lust. 
parading and masquerading itself as love. And you'll look at that and you'll think, well, I don't have that here in my normal situation, so therefore I will get disoriented. And I will try to take that and put it here. And take that and put it here. And the next thing you know, I'm all lost. We've got to focus on what Jesus says. We've got to focus on what the Bible tells us. We start to get disoriented thinking we're overwhelmed. You've got to start speaking into your own life. Greater is He who is in me than he who is in this world. You've got to learn to take those thoughts into captivity and say, if it's not pure, if it's not good, if it's not fruitful, if it's not heavenly, if it's not of God, if it's not of Jesus, I take that dude into captivity and I put it where it belongs. Don't get disoriented. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't get disoriented. Number six. The last one. This is a big one, especially in today's world. Dishearted. Or discouragement. For when you are disheartened, discouragement is right on its heels. I've done a lot of marriage counseling. And nine times out of ten, it comes from somebody being disheartened. For whatever reason, it can, be, it can be a really good excuse or it can be a lame one. Still an excuse. It still leads to being disheartened. And when it's disheartened, you lose courage, which is discouragement. Courage to say, no, I'm going to look at this as a challenge and I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to make it. I said it. I said it. I gave it my vow. I gave it my word. I did it before God and I'm going to be it. You know, back in the day when our word was really our word. And from that, everything else changes. Anybody get up every morning and you go, let's see. Uh, I don't know if I want to be married today or not. Some of y'all are looking to see if Stephanie's over there. We don't do that, do we? From... The basis of that marriage does it change the purpose of the whole day. And that no matter what I do in that day, I still know that I'm married. No matter what happens in that day, I still know what? That I'm married. This is what Galatians say. We, we've already read it, so you can don't, don't have to turn there. But Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, we read it earlier. But Paul says, don't grow weary in Doing well. Don't grow weary. In other words, you can't always base this walk with Christ on feelings. You got to base it on His identity and your identity in Him. You are. Whether you feel married or not, guess what? You are. You are in a permanent relationship with Him. Right? I hope. I hope. And so from that, everything else hinges on that. Wow, that's a lot of D's. That's a lot of really bad D's. Thanks, Pastor, for 
an uplifting message. If I had just like two more minutes, I'd tell you about the seventh D that can overcome all other six Ds. It might take three minutes. So next time, we will just, we'll go over that seventh D. <laughs> James, chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Some of you have been in on Wednesday nights and you've been in the Bible study of James, probably knows where I'm going with this. The seventh D. I like to call it the big D. It's the seventh D. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. What he's saying, and I know we look at that, we go, well, that don't sound like fun. What he's saying is, is all of those who've exalted flesh, put that ego on the cross. And as you put that ego on the cross, there you are between you and God with nothing but truth. Nothing but reality. And you draw near to him. And he says he will do what? And that's the key to resisting the enemy. That's the key to submitting to God. It's drawing near to Him. Now, I don't want you to, to, to get a wrong picture of this. Because if we're not careful, we will. We have this picture in our mind. Like God is way out there and I'm way back here. And there's this huge distance between us. And God is waiting on me to turn to Him and start making my way to Him with a perfect walk that never stumbles and never falters and never fails. And as I keep walking toward Him, the closer I get, the better I'll feel, the better I'll perform, which proves that I'm a man of God, right? In my mind, that's where it wants to go. When He says, draw close to God, you got to understand that that word draw is... Its meaning is rooted in the same thing if I go to a well. I'm going with the intent to know and recognize that my source is right there. But I'm so thankful that Jesus went out of His way one day to meet a woman who had a little bit of trouble being a little disoriented and distracted and divided in her life. And a well sat on a well to say that not only am I the source, but I'll help you get to the source. Because I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We have a Jesus that throws His arm. I can't even get there. I can't even be drawn there unless He throws His arms around me and takes me there. But that's what Jesus does. Jesus knows i got to get to God. And he knows I can't do it by myself. And he knows that in such a way where he's not saying, ha ha, you can't make it. He's saying, let me help you make it. You're not called to walk this walk alone. 
Quit trying. Quit trying. You're called to walk with Christ. So quit trying to run ahead of Him. Walk after the Spirit. Trust in Him. Walk with Him. He'll get you there. That's what He do. And can't nobody do me like the Lord. Let's all stand. Thank you for giving me three, five more minutes. I want you to just kind of come back to a focus on Him. And if you have felt distracted, distracted or divided or disoriented, if you felt any of those things, right now I want to pray with you. Father, if there's anybody in here that has felt divided from your kingdom, distracted, deceived, distorted, disoriented, or disheartened, Father, I pray that you would help them to understand this. That you came to reach those. That's why you came. We know that the days are evil. But the devil's no cannot compete with God's yes. And Satan cannot disqualify whom you have qualified. And if we've given you our life, we are qualified. Not by our own works, but by Your grace through faith we are saved. And I pray that we would be who You've called us to be in these days and in these times. To be the light, not distracted, not disoriented, focused on You. Father, it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn to about three different people and say, God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.